the difference between like a really good program and a good enough program for the majority of exercisers is actually not that great. What really matters and what really moves the needle is that you understand enough about the psychology of adherence, of self-efficacy, to get somebody to want to do the program. Because if somebody actually does something that's perhaps not quite as good, they're going to get way better results, you know, physiologically, physically, mentally, than they are if you give them the best program that's going to beat the crap out of them, that might not be right for them, or that you can't communicate as well. Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Jonathan Goodman, a trainer and author who founded the Personal Training Development Center way back in 2011. The goal of the site was to bring fitness professionals the information, support, and business guidance they needed but couldn't find anywhere else. I've known Jonathan since right around that time, and he's quietly, okay, sometimes not so quietly, built what I think is an immensely valuable resource for the fitness industry as a whole. We discuss the past, present, and future of personal training and where the industry will and won't succeed in moving toward more remote and virtual training models. Also, we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barbend newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barbend.com newsletter to start becoming the smartest person in your gym today. Now let's get to it. John Goodman, thanks so much for joining us. I have to dive right into it because I, I think the thing that you're most associated with in, in the fitness industry is uh, the PTDC. Tell us what it stands for and tell us what it originally began as because it, it's grown a lot since then. Sure. PTDC stands for Personal Trainer Development Center. And it's grown into the largest independent collaborative blog for personal trainers. So it's grown into a, a remote education company. But really what it started out as was John Goodman's little blog to promote his book called Ignite the Fire back in 2011. And I figured out really early that uh, I only had so many good ideas, you know, maybe two. <laughs> but over the course of a year, there's probably like at least 25 other good trainers who also had two good ideas. And so if we publish one good idea a year, that's 52 good ideas total. You know, 25 people have two, and I have two, that's 52, so one a week. And I felt like that was important for absolutely no good reason. And so I turned it into a collaborative blog. And so we just started publishing and celebrating other people. Like, we were syndicating content before syndicating content was cool. We were really just this idea of abundance. I mean, I've published a independent unbiased list every Sunday at 6 a.m. since 2012 of the best fitness content on the net by other people. And we have people outside of our company make the list and their only instruction is find the best information you possibly find. We don't care if they're competitors. We don't care if we like them or if we don't like them. Like the best information in the fitness industry needs to be shared. And, uh, and yeah, it's just kind of, it's, it's grown from there into, into books, into certification, a whole bunch of stuff we've tried. It hasn't worked uh, as, as the norm. So how did 
the PTDC originally start gaining some traction? Because you have a long history as a personal trainer. And I, I remember actually in the early days of the PTDC, that was around the time we started working together and we kind of became friends. I remember you'd pop by New York and you were talking about it. A lot of it was very grassroots marketing. Like you were literally going into gyms and talking to your friends and being like, hey, check out this blog. Do you want to contribute? Do you have ideas? How did it originally start gaining traction? And what was your, what was your pitch to get other personal trainers involved sharing their ideas? That's a good question. I knew so little about how things should be done that I kind of made it up as I went, which I think is actually perhaps the best lesson here. I feel like there's this there's this level of optimistic ignorance that everybody needs when they start a company and it's harder and harder to attain that, that level because we just it's too easy to know too much about something. It's too easy to over-ask questions when you really have zero context through which to put those answers. And so how did it start? Um, man, I, I mean, I had a book, right? I was a 20... 20- four-year-old personal trainer who wrote a book about personal training because, again, I was so ignorant to have no idea of why I shouldn't have written the book, so I just wrote the book. And then I looked around and I was like, well, I have this book. How do I get it edited? How do I promote this book? And uh, and form the PTDC. And then I was just like, okay, well, I know nobody. I don't have much money. <laughs> How do I get people to go to know about the book? And so I just, I just started traveling. I think, you know, one summer I went to New York City eight times. I just started attending every single event. And at the same time, I would just cold email and cold call. You know, how did I find my editor? I was just like, well, who has published a book in the fitness industry? I literally Googled fitness books and I just emailed all of them. And I was just like, hey, I'm looking for an editor for my book. Do you know somebody? And now I'm starting to build relationships with them. And Brad Schoenfeld is actually the person who put me in touch with with the original editor, Kelly James Anger, uh, for that book. And everybody got back to me. And I think that was the biggest trigger moment early on was that when you reach out to people respectfully, no matter how great you think they are, they will get back to you. And then I just started looking for ways to add value to them. So I would, I would often try to meet them at events and things like that and just shake their hand. But I mean, you're not trying to get anything out of anybody when you first meet them at a event. You just want like a face. And then I would try to syndicate their content. So I'd say, okay, I want to get to know David Thomas Tapp because he's a big deal. He's working at this company called greatest.com. It's pretty cool. Way, way back when, taking it way back. Way back when. He's pretty cool. Uh, you know, I think 10 years from now, we might want to do a podcast together. And so how do I, how do I get to know him? Well, he's written this really great article that our audience can, can benefit from. I have this professional sounding website personal trainer development center that nobody really knows is like a website that I built and run out of my one bedroom apartment at night after personal training my clients because it's a website. Nobody knows that it's that. And so I just found content that was already great, but often was missing a headline or structure or formatting or editing. And I would just, basically ask permission to syndicate it. I would just say, hey, you know, this, this piece is great. Can I port it over to this blog? Um, I'll pay a hundred bucks and you're the sole author, pure attribution. Nowadays, if, if we do that, um, you put like a, you just put a line at the top saying, 
this is a, the original source of the article comes here. And you do a little bit with the link just to make sure that the internet that Google knows that the original is somewhere else. And, uh, and then we published it. And I didn't even ask him to share it. But now these people started sharing the website because they were on it. And over the years, we have over a thousand people that have been involved with contributing content to the website. You can't have a thousand nodes on a network that are all producers, that all have their own platforms, that are all producing information and not have that thing turn into something. Mm-hmm. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, we didn't pay any advertising. We didn't spend a dollar in advertising until I think it was 2015, 2016, like, like five years in, we didn't. And even then, I mean, we do a launch where we do, you know, 1.5 million bucks or something, 2 million bucks. And then we spent $50,000 in ads. I mean, it was just, we did what? all the hard stuff that takes a long time, basically. What are some of the original topics way back when, uh, you know, inspired by the, your book, Ignite the Fire, that you started publishing on the PTDC. And if you remember, what are some of the first topics in the personal training sphere that others started contributing on the PTDC? I mean, the basics of, uh, there was still, I mean, it's funny because these things are still controversial now. Core work, rotation, anti-rotation. Is those, those, are, those, are, those are controversial now? Those are still controversial in the fitness industry? I don't know. Should you do sit-ups? Should you stretch? Should you foam roll? All okay. of those types of things. These are these are le- these are legitimately topics that have gone like they've peaked and valid in the controversial sphere. They become they become conventional wisdom, and then it's yeah. like, wait a minute, they're you know, research says so. Still- research says that it shouldn't you know take BCAAs. They're the best things ever. Well, actually, you don't actually need to. Uh, I mean, those types of topics. The, the two topics that I, I still look back on and I say, these are the things that broke the site in terms of like, like these are, these are the trigger moments, right? These are the catalytic points were things that were not controversial, but things that I feel like anybody who was deeply embedded in the industry intuitively knew, but couldn't quite articulate. And then when I said it, and when I published it, I was one of the first people to really publish the subject and everybody was just like, holy crap, that's right. And, and the first was personal trainers shouldn't periodize. They shouldn't periodize. They no shouldn't period. periodize. The majority of clients, and I mean really like undulating periodization is potentially an exception because undulating periodization basically means give people what they need when they need it. Mm. But <laughs> it's, it's periodic. But like it's, you know, when I say personal trainers shouldn't periodize, I'm, I'm like, personal trainers probably shouldn't try to build these these macro micro cycles, you know, they shouldn't train. Most clients are general pop, even trainers who work with primarily professional athletes. The majority of their business is still general population. Almost always, even trainers who work with the top celebrities in the world, the majority of their business is still general population and general population has life that gets in the way. They forget to tell you that there's a wedding coming up. They get sick. They're whatever is going on. And so I was sitting there and I'm building, you know, I read, uh, uh, you know, Tudor Bumpa's work. You know, I, I read these textbooks. I look at all of these periodization structures and I try to emulate them as a trainer, thinking that's what I should be doing. And then I kind of took a step back and I was just like, 
nah, man, this doesn't work. This doesn't work for my client. I'm building you this beautiful three-month program and you forgot to tell me you have a vacation in two weeks. <laughs> right? And so then what I did is I built, a, I, I built a system, you share this in the article, where every one of my clients had a spreadsheet and they basically had colors coming up and the colors were, you know, general preparation phase, power phase, effort phase, fat loss, whatever. And, and we just did, uh, before every month, I just said, hey, what do you got coming up this month? And then I would, I would color code it and I would be able to very easily look back at, okay, if they were going to come up on a fat loss because they had a vacation coming up, maybe we want to do a hypertrophy phase before that. That was one. The second, which is the biggest one, which is really what Ignite Fire is built off of, is, is, is the idea that it's, it's more commonly known now, but it's the idea that psychology matters much more than physiology a lot of the time mm. with most exercisers. And so the importance of the quality of a program you give to a client pales in comparison to the importance of your ability to get a client to want to do that program. I realized after a few years of personal training that the difference between the best program, if it exists, which it doesn't because fitness is kind of a mastery thing. We are constant. And there's no real like defined best. The difference between like a really good program and a good enough program for the majority of exercisers is actually not that great. What really matters and what really moves the needle is that you understand enough about the psychology of adherence, of self-efficacy to get somebody to want to do the program. Because if somebody actually does something that's perhaps not quite as good, they're going to get way better results you know, physiologically, physically, mentally, then they are, if you give them the best program that's going to beat the crap out of them, that might not be right for them, or that you can't communicate as well. None of this is saying that you should strive to give them a better program, but I think first is you have to understand what makes people tick. And, uh, and I was, Ignite the Fire was the first book to really publish that concept. And, and that's, I think, what people really resonated with. Let's talk about conflicting ideas. There are a lot of controversial things in the fitness industry. Some are actually controversial. Some are falsely controversial because people like controversy and people like, like to argue. Like ketogenic diet, Atkins diet, low carb, like how they're all the exact same thing and they come back every 10 years. Stuff whatever buzzwords you want into this in the transcript so Google picks it up and this podcast does really well. Whatever, whatever buzzwords, paleo, fat loss, whatever buzzwords you want because we transcribe these. Is the ketogenic these. diet good? It, how do you follow the ketogenic diet? Is the ketogenic diet paleo? All these buzzwords. Anyway, uh, let's get the featured snippets. So controversy. Some of it is controversial. There are things that are controversial. Some things aren't. Some things we don't think should be controversial. And suddenly a new meta-analysis comes out and says, wait, everyone was wrong, etc." Which doesn't happen that often, but doesn't, it doesn't happen that often. But usually there are things that are like a little bit surprising, uh, but it doesn't happen that often. But let's talk about conflicting ideas and opinions. So, what is the PTDC's stance on publishing two articles that might be in opposition, but they come from different opinions and they have different, you know, there's a logical basis to each. Like, for example, on Barbin, we we have an op-ed section. Right, mm -hmm. people write opinion editorials, and sometimes they're in conflict. And sometimes, something I really enjoy is we'll publish an op-ed, and then someone, one of our writers, contributors, someone really smart, will want to publish a reaction to that op-ed or a counter to that op-ed, right? Yeah. Which is really cool because you can put them in dialogue, and when you can put smart authors in dialogue publicly, and they're both 
down for it. Like that's really cool. How does but, the PTDC handle that? Or is that something that like doesn't really come up? It doesn't really come up because we don't really talk about the science of training mm-hmm. that much. It, it, could, it, could, it might not be on the science. It could be something that's a little bit more, that's not necessarily um, right. you know, research-based, for example. We, we have done it in the past. We've done point-counterpoint before where basically we, we publish something in the audience or a couple people in the audience say, you know, we don't agree. And we're like, yeah, give us a counterpoint. Uh, we have done that. The majority of what the PTDC publishes now is really business career advice. Mm. And so there, there's kind of less of that. But my personal stance on it is academic debate, intelligence debate, discourse, respectful debate is always positive to people who are listening. Where I struggle with it is that I think the people who really need to listen to it don't. Mm. I understand enough about cognitive dissonance. I understand enough about things like ad hominem and straw man attacks to know that it's so easy to persuade people and and once one person associates with a certain viewpoint, good luck trying to get him to even listen to the other viewpoint, especially in, in the day of the filter bubble that we live in now. I mean, you're just you're running up against a brick wall to a brick wall to a brick wall. So I intellectually, I think that it's an incredibly positive thing. Personally, I believe very strongly of like I subscribe to a whole bunch of magazines. I actually published on my Instagram this morning um, some articles from the, from Avant magazine, which I really love. It's, I think it's by the creator of Vice Media put it together. But really why I love it is it's a whole bunch of random stories from around the world about the most random subjects ever. Like from this Kurdish empress a century ago to a cubiform tablet in Mesopotamia, talking about a copper trader who cheated his partners to uh, La Sapierre, who are these like fashionistas in Congo. And the reason why I love this so much is it's stuff I would never, I mean, we're force fed. If you just do what most people do, which is log on to this media sites you like, and log on to social media, you're fed stuff that already agrees with what you agree with. You don't know that this is happening, but this is how these systems have been built. And so you never see opposing viewpoints, intelligent viewpoints. You never kind of open yourself up to it. You never see things that are just completely different that get your brain to work different ways. So I just think it's really, really important, I mean, inside of fitness and outside of fitness, to subscribe and make time to fill your head with things that you would never otherwise see, that would never be delivered to you. And you've got to go pretty far out of your way to do that these days. What do you think the PTDC can do in a better way or do more of to kind of fight the echo chamber effect that develops in communities? The fitness community being just one of literally infinite examples. Yeah. Man, that's a good question. We battle with it. The interesting thing about the PTDC is that we've kind of been Switzerland for the last like nine years. The fitness industry is very fractured where particular factions don't speak to each other that much. You know, bodybuilders don't really speak to CrossFitters, don't really speak to Zumba instructors, don't really speak to people who, uh, I don't know, say do 
orange theory or uh, you know beach body type workouts they kind of don't and then and then of course you've got certification companies that are by and large around the world unregulated by anybody so there's no despite what they might say there actually is no scope of practice basically anywhere a certification might have a scope of practice but they're an independent for-profit company so like their scope of practice is whatever they say that they should do it's not government regulated and so what what the certification companies do is they're a business they want you to keep buying from them so they don't introduce you to people outside of them and then you have people in individual countries who don't See, folks, so you can just see how many different factions, how fractured the whole industry is ever. What the PTC has done a reasonably good job over the years, and I'm proud of, is that we've been able to kind of usurp all of that. And we have everybody from small gym owners to big box gym owners to owners of, of big gym chains in Singapore to CrossFitters to bodybuilders to physique models to Zumba instructors all listening to us, which actually doesn't exist. In, on very many platforms. We've kind of always been Switzerland that way. And so I think what we can do better is put out more messages of collaboration and be very upfront and, and, and very outspoken about how we're doing that and why we're doing that. Because I think the fitness industry is broken in a lot of ways. I think, I mean, the fitness industry is still a very, very, very young industry. And I think it's in a very awkward teenager, adolescent phase right now where we don't quite have an identity and everybody's fighting and everybody's whining and everybody thinks they're right. And there's emotions and hormones flying around. <laughs> what do you think on a, on a more positive note, right? To, to, to inject a little positivity. Into, I, don't think, I don't think it's not positive at no, all. Not that it wasn't positive. I mean, <laughs> growth... Growth is growth is growth, right? Growth yeah. and maturation are growth and maturation. There's positive, there's negative. But I am curious just because I, I don't get to ask everyone this because I haven't known everyone on this podcast. In fact, I haven't known most people on this podcast for as long as I've known you. We're going on, it's it's close to 10 years or at least close, closer to 10 than it is to five. Let's put it that way. What about the fitness industry has changed over the course of our relationship for mm-hmm. the better? Or what yeah. are, you know, what are, what are a couple things that might spring to mind? Opportunities. Opportunity. opportunity. I think, I think there is so much opportunity in the fitness industry. When, when you and I first met, there were big players that by and large controlled the flow of information that by and large controlled the certification, the gyms, where you could work, how you could work the business model. And there wasn't a lot of publicly known information, and this is just starting now, of careers in the fitness industry outside of personal training. It used to kind of be like you'd, you'd enter the fitness industry, you'd be a personal trainer, and you might like stumble around for a little bit, and then you'd probably leave. Well, now a lot of people still start as personal trainers, but like you don't still have to be a personal trainer. A lot of people start, but you know, most of the people who work for our company were personal trainers at one point. And now they're everything from marketers to personal assistants to graphic designers to project managers to developers to advertisers. But they still love fitness. And so they still want to support the fitness industry. 
I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for anybody who wants to go and grab it to build their own business, to craft out the right model for them. We're huge proponents of online training. I wrote the only textbook in the world for online trainers. We've got the only certification course for online trainers. And the reason for that is online training allows any personal trainer to begin to, to attain some semblance of freedom and flexibility in what they do. It's not, hey, let me put my feet up and sit on a beach and sit my ties. It's I need to reverse the business dictating fitness continuum. I need to identify and move towards a model whereby fitness of my clients, the success of my clients, dictates the success of my business. With online or hybrid online person, which is the majority of the people that we work with do, or, you know, a combination of both, what you can then do is you can actually craft a model that's perfect for every single client, giving them what they need, when they need it, how they need it. The perfect workout is almost never 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, but the constraints in the gym force that. The perfect workout doesn't start at 6 p.m. on the dot every single Tuesday and Thursday p.m. That's not how lives work. But the constraints in the gym force that. And so back in 2013, 2012, we really started thinking about it. I was like, well, what if there was a better way? And we started teaching people how to build online businesses, how to build online into their business in 2013. Um, and now, of course, it's grown considerably. But, but I just see, I see so much opportunity. And then once you have online, well, now you're, not, now you're not forced to a location, but now you're also not forced into a very specific schedule where you're trading your time specifically for money, which opens up a ton of opportunities to do more, be more, help more which is really what it's about. Where are some places that you look to or people who you look to mm -hmm. for inspiration and ideas within the fitness industry right now? Because I know in just talking with you back and forth, you're someone who likes taking in a lot of information from a broad spectrum. You talked about yeah. you know, how you like reading magazine stories that have nothing to do with fitness or might be just very much tangential, but within the fitness industry. Where do you look for these days for some inspiration and ideas? Because this is a question I actually remember asking you probably eight years ago. <laughs> what did I say then? Uh, I don't, uh, I'm sure I had a list. I took a lot of notes back then in like, a, in like a little notebook. But I'm, I'm curious what it is now. And maybe I can go back later and compare notes if I can dig yeah. a notebook out of a closet. I'd love, to, I'd love to see that. What happened before John had gray hair? Um, that would be really interesting to know actually what the difference is. Where do I look to now? I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have a whole bunch of systems built around me. I, I, I've considered myself sort of a talent scout, I guess, in the business industry. This goes back into like kind of the guerrilla marketing aspect as well. I believe very strongly that there are people out there that are going to be very successful because of who they are and what they are. And there's certain qualities that are common amongst them. And so what I have done over the years is I've built systems into my business and members of my team. And for example, the Sunday best content list to identify, to, to basically bring people to me and identify people who are going to be great just before they are. 
or not, I mean, not like, like before they're known to be good, because really, I mean, there's, there's this old adage. It's like, try, fail, try, try, fail, 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 try, fail, reinvent yourself. And then five years later, you become an overnight success. And so if you can catch somebody in that try, fail phase and be the person to lift them up and publish them and be like, yo, I got you and build a relationship with them. Well, when that person inevitably then becomes really successful, you've been there all along. Try getting in touch, try building a relationship with somebody when they're already at the top. They don't need anymore. Like they're busy. They don't need, they have lots of people trying to reach out to them. But if you've known them for a lot of years, but then the back was for you. And so what, what we do is we have members of our team basically in systems that scan the net for people just putting out good content, good material. And we have processes of just making sure we're checking in with them, right? Making sure we're seeing how they're doing, trying to figure out ways that we can support them on the way up. What, no idea whether it will ever turn into anything. You know, there's somebody who we, we had a call with yesterday that we might work with. He might become the, the, the head coach for one of our projects that we're working with. I've known him for 10 years. Attended his events, his conferences. Always just kept in touch with him a bit. Bought his stuff when he put it out. Sent him messages just, I believe, very strongly in catching people in the act of doing something great. A lot of times it's so easy to catch people in the act of doing something poorly. And the only time you reach out or you hear from somebody is like, oh, you're doing something wrong. You made a mistake. You made a typo. It's like, no, be like, yo, I got you. I caught you. I caught you. You did something cool there. You did something good there. And be that person to identify it. Um, I believe very strongly in never resisting a generous impulse. If you ever feel like doing something nice for somebody, knee-jerk reaction, just do it. Send that message. Send that code. Buy that gift card. Uh, buy that person to key lime pie when you meet up with them in the middle of a park in New York City. Like that, I mean, really, that's super memorable. I mean, when we met up, I think I, I went and visited the greatest offices and then you and I had a coffee in one of the many concrete parks in New York. And you just walked down, you knew that I love key lime pie and you just walked down with a coffee and a, and a little like single serve key lime pie for me. It was super convenient to do that, by the way, because the offices at the time were right were right above a bakery. So Regardless, it, was, it was fortuitous. It was fortuitous. It's New York. You give yourself too little credit. It's New York City. There's a bakery every three doors. That's true. Like that's true. it would not have been difficult for you to find a bakery. <laughs> but uh, but it's it's that idea. So so your question, like, who do you listen to? Who do you go to for advice? I'm not particularly interested in training anymore. I'm interested in being in shape for sure. As long as I move every day, I'm happy. So normally I ride my bike to and from the office. It's like 15 minutes and then I'll go for a jog or an outdoor bodyweight workout because gyms are still closed here at lunch. Well, today I have calls all through lunch and we're going to go stand up paddleboarding, my wife and I, on um, the Humber River here in Toronto with our son. We've got three year olds, so we're going to go stand up paddleboarding after work because it's going to be a beautiful day, which means I can't ride my bike to work because uh, she has to pick me up in the car to go paddleboard. And so I ran to work. Like, I don't really care what I do. It's like 25 minutes, as long as I move. So I'm not, I'm not particularly interested in training. So I really don't read much about training. I'm interested in people. I'm interested in people doing great work. And what does that mean? And how are 
how are people getting messages through these days in the fitness industry in a really special way that is not just building a platform, but is eliciting action amongst that platform. Mm-hmm. I think that's the really, really special stuff. Um, I mean, I can name a few names if, if, if you want, but it's more the idea behind the name because that kind of looks different. I mean, there's so many people who have big audiences in the fitness industry who have to wait tables on weekends to make ends meet. Like just because you have a lot of people following you on Instagram doesn't mean you can make any money from that because nobody actually cares about you. They just care about photos of you twerking. Like that's why I follow you, Dave. Well, there's no photos of me twerking, but if you go on TikTok, there is a very popular TikTok with hundreds of thousands of views uh, that features my butt. So That's a story for a different day, and that's actually come up on the podcast before. No, that's a story right now. I'm just, I'm just owning it. We did this thing; it's a whole thing. We mentioned I was on a podcast. I had a, did a podcast with Jen Wiederstrom, and we were talking about TikTok. And if you go to the Barb and TikTok account, like the most popular video by far, we don't have a huge presence on TikTok. We need to invest in some growth there. Is of the butt test where you roll a loaded barbell over someone's butt, and if it passes their butt, they fail the butt test. It's about like a glute size thing, and like. I did it and it's like by a factor of by like two orders of magnitude. It's the most popular video we've ever put out because it's so just passed the butt test I, I, with flying out. colors with flying colors. John, Amazing. you've, you've met me in person multiple times. Like it's, I'm just glutes and the yeah. rest and, and the rest you, of me. If you were born in Canada, you would have been a very effective hockey player. I, that hockey is the, players have duck butts. They just water. That is, that is the, <laughs> That is the nicest. I can't honestly. I that will not be top. That's the nicest compliment anyone's <laughs> paid me for a while. For a, for a while, my grandmother's from Canada, so I feel like that's just that's in a way like a very visceral, familial compliment. So yeah. I'm not going to top that. We're going to basically end on that, and I'm going to say, and I'm going to say, John, where's the best place for people to keep to keep up to date with uh, with the work you're doing? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. If, if anybody's interested in online training, online training business, whether you're in the industry, not in the industry, we've got the online trainer show, which is our podcast. You can, you can search online, online trainer show wherever you go to the podcast or just go to online trainer.com slash podcast. You can look at it, get all the links on YouTube, Spotify, all those types of things. And then yeah, personal trainer development center. We've got a thousand articles plus about everything you'd ever want to know about personal training. Awesome. Well, John, thanks so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to catch up. And when we do it again in 10 years, I'm sure things will be slightly different. No, I'm kidding. We'll do it. Hopefully you'd still pass the butt test. I feel like as you age. Oh no, don't even. But it might be, <laughs> it might be sad. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll check in. <laughs> you know how sad that would be? You'd be like, I can't even, like I stretched out all these pants and now they don't fit anymore. This is my this is your, this is my worst nightmare. I, I this is this is this is, we're just gonna end it on that. Thanks for thanks for joining us, John. All right, thanks, buddy.